Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. And since we're beginning a new year, I thought it would be very worthwhile to look ahead. And in addition, I thought it would be very worthwhile to provide the beginning of an introduction to the Gospel of Matthew, which will be read many, many times in Masses during 2023. So this is going to be probably the most unique intro to the authorship of a gospel because you want to really determine who the author is when you're reading a book of the Bible because then you get a sense of who he is, what he's trying to express. And also, I want to use this intro and the importance of determining the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you might say, is something wrong with you, Steve? I mean, it says the Gospel of Matthew. What's the big deal? Well, hang on. You can see there's um, a lot of confusion in the day in which we live. But part of what I want to look ahead to is what I call the impulse towards world government. And specifically, I'm talking about the impulse for world government without Jesus. There is a grand historical urge that pervades human history. You go back almost to the times of prehistory in the Old Testament. You find a thug, a ruler, wicked ruler by the name of Nimrod, who actually happens to be a precursor, one of those images way back in the Old Testament of the final Antichrist at the end of history. And Nimrod built his little empire in the Mesopotamian Valley, which eventually that area resulted in the first world empire, the empire of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And then when we read in the prophet Daniel, Daniel prophesied there would be a succession of four world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then the Roman Empire. And then there would be a final expression of all of these impulses through human history to emerge in a world government under the Antichrist. And the book of Revelation obviously talks about that, especially in Revelation 17 and 18 about Babylon the Great. Now, with that, I want to discuss very briefly three aspects that are necessary for the creation of a world government without Jesus. As Christians, we're not really excited about a world government without Jesus, but the first thing you need, and this is almost universal for, and even politicians who claim to be very democratic and everything uh, have this disease, is that there has to be a dramatic increase in the size, the scope, and the authority of civil government. Now, you might be surprised, but at least I believe that the prime instrument that expands civil government is war. And just in the 20th century, as a result of World War I, there was 
an attempt to form some type of world federation without Jesus called the League of Nations. The U.S. didn't uh, bite, uh, but it was a start. Then you had World War II with then the creation of NATO and the U.N. Uh, Then you could have World War III. Um, And there are some people who believe that actually what is going on in Ukraine could spread to Europe and explode into World War III. And the difference between World War III and every war in history is that it will result in a two-sided nuclear war. Now, I have been reading of various people advocating world government. You'd be surprised uh, how many people believe this. And one of their chief reasons for world government is their belief that you have to decrease national sovereignty. And I kind of happen to like the United States of America. I don't want to see it decrease. But there's people in Washington, high up in our military, active and retired, in our State Department, people pulling strings who believe that you have to diminish national sovereignty to increase world government, again, without Jesus, and that this world government is the only way to prevent the tragedy of war. So, dramatically increase the size, scope, and authority of civil government, and war is the thing that really does that. Number two, uh, there has to be money involved. Money seems to drive so much, and if you had a collapse of the monetary systems around the world, the financial markets, well, people are talking about, well, if that happens, we could replace it with a universal digital currency, just like that in China. Well, that's authoritarian government on steroids. And the last thing I believe anybody should want around the world is the Chinese social credit system uh, administered by a bloated central government, again, without Jesus. Now I'm coming to the third key to enabling world government without Jesus. And this is an overlooked key. And this brings us back to the Gospel of Matthew. An overlooked key to establishing world government is a vacuum created by a weakened papacy. The papacy is a balance, and I'm not talking about having papal states and extensive lands connected with the Vatican and such. No, I'm talking about the spiritual authority of the pope is a balancing act by a civil tyrant, so to speak, who wants to basically control the world. These four world empires were led by individuals with mega egos. They were thugs. They were idolaters. They want to glorify their kingdom. What has happened, and this is over the course of the last 500 years, The Protestant Reformation, and I'm not trying to bash Protestants, I'm trying to give a very uh, calm, clear, (laughs) reasoned 
explanation of how we got to where we are today, the Protestant Reformation had the effect of creasing the powers of nation states. Why? Well, uh, the reformers, Protestant reformers, obviously wanted to take authority away from Rome, away from the Pope. And so, how you know, there's kind of an equation, like if one side of the seesaw goes down a certain direction, something goes up. Well, what went up was the authority of the nation states and the rulers of those, and they were very happy to go along with that, but it was kind of setting the modern world out of balance. Which brings me to one of the thugs in the post-Reformation era, uh, who wanted and lusted for imperial power. His name was Otto Bismarck, the Lord Chancellor of Germany. And remember, Germany was the home of the Reformation. And just kind of looking a little bit forward from Bismarck, he was also the precursor of a future German chancellor who led the Third Reich. So we have here the result of weakened spiritual authority of the Pope by all the breakoffs as a result of the Protestant Reformation, the subsequent increase in the authority of the nation states. Now, Otto von Bismarck was a lot smarter than many Catholic scripture scholars today. You think, whoa, I'll say it also. He was a lot smarter than a lot of evangelical scripture scholars today because he wanted to expand his authority and he knew just how to do it. He knew this number three key that I just mentioned, what? The spiritual vacuum left by a weakened papacy will increase the power of central government. And if you have big designs for yourself, then go after the papacy. Now, Bismarck was aided by a two-bit biblical scholar who really wasn't much of anything, but this so-called biblical scholar came up with a rather innocuous theory about the four Gospels. And the new theory said that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was the first Gospel written. Until this time, it was widely believed that Matthew was the first gospel written. It's one of the reasons it's first in the New Testament, okay? And that his theory that Matthew came a good bit later. And so Mark was the first, and he says Mark was authentic. Matthew, since it came later in the developing Catholic Church, well, some of St. Peter's followers following his demise wanted to embellish a little bit the, the role of the Pope, so they started adding some things. And so the Gospel of Matthew has genuine parts of it that are also shared with the Gospel of Mark, but there's some things in Matthew that Bismarck's uh, hack theologian said was inauthentic. Now, Take a wild guess with me. What chapter of the Gospel of Matthew did they want to go after? Okay, again, what they're wanting to do is increase the power 
of the Lord Chancellor of Germany, Bismarck. In order to do that, you have to do a number of things, including creating a spiritual vacuum by decreasing the authority of the papacy. Well, what chapter was it? Well, of course, Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is the only place in the four Gospels explicitly declaring Peter's authority given by Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. It's the only gospel to mention St. Peter is the rock of the church, and he's been given the keys to the kingdom. It's like when you give the keys to your 16-year-old for the car, they have authority over that car. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, and it's pretty clear he was given this authority. And anytime you take papal authority from the world. And this has been going on for 500 years. Bismarck just came up with a way to pretty much put that that whole uh, effort to decrease papal authority. And what you're going to start seeing is dictators starting arising because of the disequilibrium created by that. So the new anti-papal theory said that Matthew used Mark to compose his gospel. Mark was first, Matthew was later. And that, um, well, b- b- bottom line, I'm just just kind of kind of let this out of the bag. This is such a phony uh, theory. Here's, here's just one big reason why. In the early church, early, early church, guess which gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John was cited most by the early, early church fathers. You guessed right, Matthew. Why? Because it was the earliest. There is a wonderful document from the early church. It's kind of like the training manual for how to be a Catholic in a pagan empire. Um, The best of scholarship will date its origin to the first century. Okay, It's called the Didache, which simply means teaching uh, the Didaskalos in Greek means to teach, and the Didache was the teaching of the apostles summarized. Now, here is some statistics that are wise to remember the next time you or you send your children off to a Catholic or evangelical college where they're going to get scripture teaching or a seminary where they're going to get scripture teaching, and they're going to tell you that Mark is first and Matthew isn't. Well, then why did this first century document called the Didache have references to Matthew 32 times? Oh, well, how many did Mark have since it was first? One. (laughs) Do you see how this doesn't work if you Uh, kind of look at this objectively. All right. So the A part of this theory was that Matthew relied on Mark. The second part of this anti-papal theory also claimed that Matthew relied on a mysterious Q document in addition to Mark, the Q document. And that Q in German is Quelly. Now, this may shock you, but the phony theory about Quelly is believed by about 90% of Catholic and evangelical scripture scholars, including a number of them that you'll hear on Catholic radio. It's taught everywhere. 
Uh, I went to a leading conservative evangelical seminary, and it was like, you know, sliced bread of biblical studies that Mark was first. Of course, everybody knows it. Everybody proclaims it. If you're going to get a PhD, you just have to assume that Mark and priority. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's taught in many, and I must say this kind of, um, <laughs> I'll just say it. This just blows my mind that this anti-papal theory of Bismarck is taught in conservative Catholic colleges and universities and seminaries. It's widespread. Now, I have made this offer in the past, but I'll make it again on the air. I'm offering $10,000 in cash to the person who can show me one sentence of objective proof that Quelly ever existed. No one has seen Quelly, touched Quelly, smelled Quelly, printed Quelly. It doesn't exist, except in the minds of New Testament scholars writing PhD theses. In fact, they probably cut down a couple of rainforests to get enough paper to say, you know, mark, 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 mark priority. Okay, I'm making a $10,000 cash offer if you can show me objective proof of anything with Quelly. In fact, I wanted my children not to swallow this anti-Catholic screwball scripture theory. So I named my German shepherd Quelly. And people at the vets would say, well, what, what does that mean? It's Q, and I didn't give them the whole bit about New Testament authorship. But we know that Matthew was the earliest gospel, and surprise, surprise, it was so early that it was written in Hebrew, right? The early church on the day of Pentecost was born in Jerusalem and obviously in, in Israel to have a gospel for the early, early, early church, you'd want it in Hebrew. And as the church moved out into the Greek-speaking world, Mark and Luke and John all wrote in Greek, but the Gospel of Matthew was translated from Hebrew to Greek. It was that early. This is what a very sane uh, scripture scholar said about all this. His name was Pope Benedict XVI. Quote, let us remember that the tradition of the early church agrees in attributing to Matthew the paternity of the first gospel. That's a nice way of saying he's the father, he's the originator, he's the author of the first gospel. This already began with Bishop Papias about the year 130, who wrote, Matthew set down the words of the Lord in the Hebrew tongue, and everyone interpreted them as best he could. And then Pope Benedict goes on. Eusebius, the historian, adds this piece of information. When Matthew, who had first preached among the Jews, decided also to reach out to other peoples, he wrote down the gospel he preached in his mother tongue. Thus, he put into writing for those whom he was leaving what they would need. In other words, a gospel of Matthew in the Hebrew. And this is from the early church. By the way, 
Church history is so valuable just to keep your feet on solid ground. Uh, Again, from the early fathers, Papias, uh, 130, who wrote Matthew? Matthew, in what language? Originally, Hebrew. And this was quoted in the church historian Eusebius. Irenaeus, writing in his famous work Against Heresies, 180, who wrote the gospel, first gospel, Matthew, what language? Hebrew. Uh, Origen, writing in 245, uh, basically, Matthew was the author, and he wrote in Hebrew. Eusebius of Caesarea, and he wrote his ecclesiastical history about the year 315, uh, Who wrote it? Matthew. What language did he write it in? Hebrew. St. Jerome, writing about A.D. 347 to 420. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew. What language? Hebrew. See, this isn't too hard to figure out. Now, this bothers me. This really bothers me. Bismarck doesn't surprise me. And in fact, you know, I regard him as an enemy of the truth trying to diminish papal authority. But yet I have to tip my hat that he was smart in how he did it. But really what breaks my heart is what is in Catholic Bibles today. I'm going to read to you from the New American Bible who has notes uh, preceding the Gospel of Matthew. It's an introduction, kind of what I'm trying to give to you today. And just so you know, you send your son off to a Catholic seminary, they probably aren't going to hear this. And it's just, just, I'm sorry. And you're going to send your sons and daughters off to expensive Catholic colleges. And if they get serious about reading scriptures, most people don't read these introductions, which I guess is good in a way. But if they start serious scripture study, they're going to be dumped with Bismarck's anti-papal theory. This is what is in the New American Catholic Bible. Quote, the ancient tradition that the author was the disciple and apostle of Jesus named Matthew is untenable because the gospel is based in large part on the gospel according to Mark. The unknown author, whom we shall continue to call Matthew for the sake of convenience. Now, let let me pause. This is pure deceit. When you hear a young priest say, the sacred author, instead of referring to Moses, he's been taught another phony baloney German theory that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible. And they're saying, well, you just continue to say Matthew, but you don't believe Matthew was the author. This is what they're teaching in evangelical and Catholic seminaries, a lot of them. It's what I got. And if you don't believe that Matthew was the author, then it lacks apostolic authority. And, you know, your preaching or your homilies are going to be insipid because if you don't receive authority, you can't proclaim it. You're basically giving hot air. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. They say, and this is, again, from the New American Catholic Bible, for the sake of convenience, we're going to believe that 
Matthew drew not only upon the gospel according to Mark, but upon a large body of material. Sometimes this material is also found in the gospel of Luke. This material called Q, or Quelly, represents traditions written and oral used by both Matthew and Luke. The traditions, which they call, this isn't sacred tradition, that's what they call late additions, late corruptions. So um, there you have it. Bismarck's anti-papal theory is in Catholic Bibles used today. I've been in conservative Catholic parishes where such a Bible is the Pew Bible for good parishes. So there was a term in uh, Germans came up with in Bismarck's day. See if I can pronounce it. I'm not, I don't know German. It's called Kulturkampf. What's that? According to the dictionary, it's the bitter struggle on the part of German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck to subject the Roman Catholic Church to state controls. This is what happens when you have an empire without Jesus. This is what happens when you have an empire or a chancellor without papal authority. It was declared that the battle with the Roman Catholics was a struggle in the interest of humanity. So here's my equation for world government. Just decrease papal authority and increase civil rulers' authority. And any future world government requires a weakened and a diminished papacy. So for me, I'll stick with the church fathers and Pope Benedict who all believe that Matthew was the author of the Gospel of Matthew, especially and including Matthew 16. Without Matthew 16, we have a vacuum in the world that will be filled with Nimrod's successor, with Nebuchadnezzar's successor, with Pharaoh's successor, with Caesar's successor, with Bismarck's successor, with Hitler's successor. We don't want that. We want Matthew 16. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.